Oh, we all see it every day in media. There's a, a woman who's a star of a television show, maybe a reality show, speaking to a group of elementary age kids, and she's saying, it was always my dream to be the star of a television show, and guess what? It happened for me. I followed my dream, and I'm here. You need to follow your dream. Or it's an all-pro football player. He's talking to a group of kids, and he's saying, it was always my dream to play for an NFL football team and to be all-pro, and I followed my dream, and look at me. I'm here. You need to follow your dream. The next day, it's in all the media, and there's all the warm, fuzzy feelings, and you know, we, we, we forwarded on Facebook, and look, I mean, he was talking to a group of kids, and he told them, follow your dream. What's wrong with that advice? Well, for one thing, um, and I, I got to say this before I give you the answer to this first part, um, I'm a baby boomer, and I, I love working with millennials. One of the great joys of my, of my life is working with the millennial generation because baby boomers and millennials have so much in common. For all of you who are millennial, you need to know that baby boomers are prehistoric millennials because um, we were into changing the world, and, and, and we just have an optimistic view of life. And so for me, as a, as a senior leader, it's kind of fun working with millennials because it's kind of like seeing my generation come, out again, come around again, and I love it. But although we have a lot in common, one thing that we don't have in common is unfortunately you millennials had us for parents and we had the great generation for parents. Sociologically, our parents are called the great generation because they went through the twin disasters of World War II and the Great Depression. And so what I need to say, and here's the first reason why it's not good advice, is that that's where it's relatively new. Those of us who grew up boomers to the great generation, our parents didn't tell us to follow our dreams. Our parents told us to do things like work hard, stay in school. How many of us who are baby boomers had our parents tell us, we didn't get to go to college, but I want, to make, I want you to have what I didn't have. I want you to go to college. And, and we were told to tell the truth and to treat our fellow men like ourselves and care about others. And, and, and then the idea was that if you do those things, you're going to discover your dream. Well, unfortunately, many of you who grew up you know, in your, your 20s or 30s, you had us for parents, and we kind of lost that sense. And so out of that, we've come up with the idea of following your dreams. So I do want you to know the first issue with it is, and one more time, again, I, I love dreams, and we'll talk, in fact, this whole message is about dreams. But I want you to know that's relatively re recent advice. It hasn't been around for very long. But there's another problem with the idea of just following your dreams, if that's all the message is and on its face. The problem is, well, I mean, look at the story. There just really aren't that many positions open for stars of television shows. There really aren't that many positions open to be all pro football players. And I, I fear that what's happening is we're not setting up our kids for success. In fact, I think we're setting them up to be depressed when we tell them just to follow their dreams and not giving them any more advice than that. You see, here's the big problem with it. You ever like work with a battery-operated device? There's nothing wrong with the device, and you're putting fresh batteries in, nothing wrong with the batteries. But you ever just get them in backward? It doesn't work, does it? And think again, one more time, there's nothing wrong with the, with the machinery, and there's nothing wrong with the batteries. The problem is they're just reversed. And that's the problem with the advice, follow your dreams. It's backward. See, here's what the culture says. The culture says, hey, follow your dreams. The next logical step is you're going to have to develop a plan because if you have a dream, you're going to have to have a plan to get there. And so the idea from our culture is follow your dreams, develop a plan. I think that's exactly backward. I think you develop your dream and you follow your plan. 
That's the advice that kids need to be given today. And again, this is going to be beneficial for you. I've had a lot of feedback from young adults who said, Mark, this message really changed my life. But I I really want to speak this into parents and grandparents because we need to teach our kids that just following their dream is not enough. The dream has to be developed to make sure that it's the right dream and that it's the dream that has an available strategy. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And then we need to help them understand that the important thing is to follow their plan. Now, just in case this talk, I already sound like a cranky old guy who doesn't believe in dreams. You need to know that you're probably in the presence of the biggest dreamer you've ever met in your life. I've always dreamed big dreams. My accelerator has been glued to the floor. I've mentioned baby boomers. You have to be a baby boomer to know this movie. There was a movie in 1980 called The Blues Brothers with Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. And there's this cool part of the movie, you know, where there's this country group called The Good Old Boys. And just as a prank, they put a glue under the accelerator and the guys are going through Chicago and they can't stop the Winnebago because their accelerator is glued to the floor. I felt like that's been me all of my career. I felt like my accelerator was glued to the floor. There are times I'd like to pull the accelerator up, but that's just, just how I am. So please don't think that I don't believe in dreams. I am a dreamer. That is who I am. But I just want you to know the important thing is getting the order right, which is developing the dream and following your strategy. Now, here is the thing. The ultimate life coach is Jesus Christ. And one of the things that amazes me about Jesus is definitely he gives us doctrine, but he also gives us a lot about life and practical living. I'll give you an example. Jesus was teaching one day, and he said, if you wind up causing someone an offense for which you're legally liable, Jesus said, settle with them quickly. Don't get stubborn. They'll take you to court, and you'll have to pay the last penny. Well, that's pretty practical life, right? But that's Jesus. So in this issue of dreaming and strategy, Jesus, he says it way better than I can. Let's check it out. We're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, and verse 28. Jesus said, is there anyone here planning to build a new house? That's a good question. Watching online, watching on television, both auditoriums here. Anybody planning a new house? Interesting. The word there that's translated house in our situation is often translated tower, but it could also be, and I think this is what Jesus had in mind, it could be translated castle because castles had towers, and that's why the association between tower and castle. So in effect, Jesus is saying, is anybody here planning to build a castle? That's a dream. That's dreaming. In fact, isn't that our terminology for for a dream without a strategy, we talk about having castles, building castles in the air. So Jesus is asking the question, is anybody here planning to build a new castle who doesn't first sit down and figure the cost? You get it? Dream, strategy. The dream is to build the castle, but of course the counting the cost part is connecting the dots. It's the strategy. Jesus said one more time, let's read the whole statement. Is there anyone here planning to build a new house who doesn't first sit down and figure the cost so you'll know if you can complete it? If you only get the foundation laid and then run out of money, there's a dream, not an adequate strategy. You get the foundation laid and run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish, Jesus said. Everybody passing by will poke fun of you. He started something, had a dream but he couldn't finish it. With that in mind today, we're going to talk about developing your dream and following your plan. Let's talk about developing a dream for a moment because I want to ask you the question, what is your dream? For some of us, we have a near-term dream, a dream that we have for the next three years, five years. Some of you have a, a dream for the next 20 years. Others of you could be thinking about ultimately what, you, what you're meant to do on the planet. So whatever your dream is, think about that for just a moment. How do you develop the dream? Well, let's consider this. There are two questions that I think you always have to ask when you want to develop your dream. And here's the first one. The first question is, is it the right 
dream? Is it the right dream? I've told Miriam for years, I'm going to do a series called Dream Smart. Someday I may do that. But is it the right dream? Because lots of people have dreams, but it's not the right dream. I mean, here's the thing. If you're at 20 years of age at least, <clears throat> you've learned that your dream evolves, right? For instance, when I was five years old, my dream in life was to be a fireman. If you'd asked me when I was five, what are you going to be? I'm going to be a fireman. Now, it wasn't that I was into rescuing people and protecting property. It was just that when I was riding in the backseat of my dad's car in Fort Worth, Texas, through the streets of Fort Worth, the coolest thing that happened in my life was that red fire truck coming with its lights flashing and its siren. I mean, I'm a boy. I mean, a red truck. I mean, that's the coolest thing in the world. And on top of that, all that noise and people pulling over the side of the road and a couple of guys hanging on the back for dear life, and they had the coolest hats I'd ever seen. And so I said to myself, I want to be a fireman complete fantasy. By the time I'm 12 years of age, my dream has changed completely. I want to be the quarterback, starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. <clears throat> now, for all of you who hate me already because I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan, I want you to have pity on me, first of all, because I grew up, grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And secondly, I would like to be free from that demon. I just haven't found a 12-step program that can free me from being a Dallas Cowboy fan. <clears throat> Down where I'm from in Dallas, they, there's, you know, the old standing joke out there is about a guy who, before he died, he left instructions that he wanted the Dallas Cowboys to be his pallbearers because he said, one more time, I want them to let me down. And, you know, so, uh, but, but when I was 12 years old, we had a very special player. He had uh, won the Heisman Trophy uh, in, at Naval Academy, but instead of going into the NFL, he went to Vietnam for four years. That was something that stood out. And most people thought you couldn't be off from the NFL for four years and then come back on and play successfully. But Roger Staubach did. After coming back from Vietnam, he became the starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, most famous, most beloved athlete in Dallas at the time. 50 years later, he's still the most beloved athlete in Dallas. And all of us kids in those days, we had the jersey number 12, and I'd go out in the front yard and throw the football along the roof of the house and run and catch it, and I wanted to be Roger Staubach. Well, it's a real job, but there's an issue with the qualifications, right? Because look at me. <laughs> Do I look like starting quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys? No, no, no. But by the time I was 15, my dream changed a whole lot. And by that point, it had started to take shape what I was good at. By the time I'm 15, I'm one of the top-ranked forensic speakers in the state of Texas. I was in debate. And in those days... I didn't, I didn't come from a wealthy family, and in those, if you wanted to go to a great university and, and uh, ha have part of your tuition and books paid for, you had to win scholarships. They started to have universities take a look at me. And so by the time I'm 15 years of age, I'm looking at my natural gift package, and I'm saying, here's what I'm going to do in life. If you had asked me when I was 15, I would say, I'm going to be an attorney. I'm going to go to law school, and then I want to go into broadcast journalism, and then ultimately I want to go into politics. Now I want to tell you what I think. Could I have realized all that? I don't know, but I know my gift package. I think I would have realized some of it. I mean, it, it, is, it is in my wheelhouse. It's not like being starting quarterback for the Cowboys. Those are things I think I probably could have achieved, but the problem was it wasn't God's plan for my life. By the time I'm 20, my goal is completely different. If you had asked me when I was 20 what my dream is for life, I would say I want to be pastor of a great church in an unusual place. Click. Now, when I say unusual, I don't mean that Kansas is unusual. I'm just from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and in the Bible Belt, there are lots of great churches. I just didn't want to be in one of those. I wanted to be in a different place. I thought it would be the Pacific Northwest. But it was just God, God's way of saying, okay, now I'm going to show you ultimately what your dream is. So when I, when I tell you the important thing in developing your dream is to ask, is it the right dream? This is what I'm talking about. 
Dreams can evolve. Dreams can change. Your dream can change in life. And so consequently, if you pursue the wrong goal, you won't be able to develop the dream that God has for you. Question number one, is it the right dream? Number two, this is huge. Parents, grandparents, teach your kids. Got to ask the question, is there an available strategy? Because here's the thing. You can't connect the dots if there aren't dots to connect. So whenever you look at your dream, you got to ask yourself, is there an available strategy? Not necessarily of getting from A to Z, but at least getting from A to B. Give you an illustration. When the economy tanked back in 2008, 9, a lot of people were seeking different careers. I remember I talked to a young lady here at New Spring who was wanting to change her career. She had worked for a store, never had gone to college, 29 years of age. And she said, Pastor, I've watched Law & Order on television. I think what I want to do is I want to be a lawyer. Well, that's a, that's a fine goal. So I asked her, I said, well, what are you doing about it? She said, well, I'm taking some courses at the community college, taking a couple of courses. Well, for me, at the age of 29, two courses at a community college sounded pretty light to me. But I asked her, I said, what courses are you taking? One of them was a crafts course. And I, and I said, well, you know, because I got to thinking to myself, I didn't say it out loud, but I'm thinking, I'm not really sure how these contribute to an, uh, a pre-law undergrad. So I said, well, why are you taking these courses? Well, I've always been interested in these things. Now think about this, 29 years age, I want to be a lawyer, watch Law and Order on television, taking a couple courses at the community college. There's a dream, but help me, is there an available strategy? Let me tell you another story. Watch the distinction. When I graduated from college in 1978, I went straight to Houston, Texas to be a pastor of a church there in the inner city. I loved it. We had a young man in the church, his name was Billy. Billy, when he was 18 years of age, when he graduated from high school, went straight into the police department. But in those days, Houston had a brilliant idea. They would pay the way of police officers through college. And if they went through college and showed aptitude, they would actually help them through law school if they would commit to working in the Harris County Prosecutor's Office. Because after all, who's going to be a better prosecutor than someone who spent 20 years on the mean streets of Houston testifying in court cases? And Billy was on his way. He'd already graduated from college. He was headed into law school, and ultimately he became an attorney. And, and then a lot of those guys who worked in the prosecutor's office in Harris County, they became great defense attorneys because who's going to be a better defense attorney than someone who spent 20 years as a policeman, spent 10 years in a prosecutor's office? You get what I'm saying? It's important to have a dream, but it's also important to have a uh, an available strategy. And one more time, I don't mean that you have to figure out the whole way there, but there needs to be at least uh, dots to connect to get you from point A to point B. Now, for the rest of today's talk, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to synthesize the idea of dreaming and planning because I really believe what happens, and this is so important, I don't know if I said this in the other three services, but I want to say this right now. When I talk about developing your dream and following your plan, there is going to be a continual moving of those parts. And as you develop your dream and you get closer to what it is that you're put on the planet to do, the more your plan is going to adjust. So with, with understanding today that we need both a dream and we need a strategy, I want to give you five secrets that strategic dreamers know. And I've taught this in the corporate world. I've taught this for Christian leaders. And finally, I've developed it as a sermon because I just feel like this is a message that the church needs to hear. You know, here's the thing. On any given weekend at New Spring, we have almost 2,000 kids. And I dream because I always think to myself, what if the kids here at New Spring 
like we talked about last week, could take inventory of the gifts that God has given them. What if they leveraged those gifts in order to change the world and build the kingdom of Jesus Christ? It blows my mind to think about that possibility. And parents, that's why I'm going to ask you to think today. I, I, I don't want to entertain you in the message. I don't even want to like carry you along on some sort of spiritual cloud. I want you to engage this morning because we need to help our kids develop their dreams and follow their plans. So here we go. Here's the first secret strategic dreamers know, and that is you need to sync up with your creator. If you want to know about the dream for your life, the ultimate dreamer is God. And so sync up with him. He is the ultimate strategic dreamer. Let me give you some scriptures that help guide my life. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. You know, even after God let me know that it was his will for me to be a pastor, I still struggle with my own understanding. Let me give you an example of that. By the time I'm 19 years old, I'm a junior in college. I'm working on a theology degree. And Mary Alice has graduated from high school. She's going to college with me. We're dating. We're not married yet. We're on our way to chapel one morning. And as we got to a particular spot on that campus, I looked at Mary Alice and said, I will go anywhere God wants me to go except to Kansas. <laughs> that is a fact. What an arrogant thing to say, right? You know, someone has said, if you want God to laugh, tell him your plans. That's a great, that's a quintessential example that because God is up in heaven smiling and saying, oh, now, here's the weird thing about that, and I'm just being honest with you. I'm, just, I'm pouring out my heart to you today. I can't imagine doing anything else but what I'm doing. And here's the big part. I can't imagine doing it anywhere else but Kansas. I love this place. It's my 34th year to live here. You know, here's the thing. I, I, I know. I mean, every once in a while, someone says, why do you love Wichita so much? Well, we don't have any mountains or any theme parks or any beaches. I love the beach. I think God's idea is to get me as far from a beach as he possibly can. You know what the number one resource of Wichita, Kansas is? It's people. It's people. I, I wish our city fathers understood that when they were marketing this place. We have the greatest people in the world. I, I, now, you know, at the age of 62, after having been here 34 years, I can't imagine living any place and ministering in any place but Kansas. No, see, here's the thing. Here's what I want you to see. At that moment, I was trying to fulfill God's dream for my life, but I was leaning on my own understanding. And that's what the Bible says. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't, don't, don't lean on your own understanding. It's not where you want to live. Trust the Lord. Seek his will. In other words, seek his dream. In all that you do, he will show you which path to take. Now, here's the thing. That's sort of at the front end of your life. This next verse is sort of like the back bracket. This is in Psalm 37, verse 4. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord. In other words, enjoy whatever God has for you. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. I love verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do it. See, that's the thing. If you sync up with your creator, well, let me, let me break that sentence. Let me say it a different way. If your dream in life is so small that you can do it by yourself, your dream's too small. You don't have a real dream until you have a God-sized dream. You don't have a dream until it's too big for you. So here's the thing. If your dream is too big for you, you're going to have to have supernatural help. And that's why the Bible says, look, commit your dream to the Lord, and he will do it. I try never to read commentaries to you, but here's a commentary that I use a lot when I'm working with the Old Testament because it's just basically unpacking the Hebrew words. I want to read it to you. This is so good. 
The advice, commit your way to the Lord, translates the verb to roll. You ever roll over an IRA or roll over an investment to a different program? That's the same word here. The Bible's saying, look, take your dream, roll it over on the Lord. Your whole life, all your desires, problems, anxieties, let the Lord determine what your life is to be. Trust in him. And I love this. He will do whatever is necessary to help you. See, that's why you want to sync up with your creator. Because when you sync up with your creator, you're no longer working with your resources, your own resources. I mean, you're working beyond your resources. Wow. Here's number two. Parents, grandparents, everybody, but especially those of us who work with kids. Real, really big heads up here. And this is really complicated. You ready for this? This is, this is really compl- complicated, high-level business stuff. So take a deep breath so that you get this. Second secret, do what you do, right? I've met so many people who had a dream, but it wasn't what they did. They weren't any good at it. It was what they fantasized about, but it, it wasn't what they did. One of my favorite stories, and this has been, I guess, six, six years now since this movie came out. Did any of you see the movie Red Tails? One of my favorite movies in the last 10 years is about the Tuskegee Airmen. And boy, don't get me started on Tuskegee Institute. What a great story. Back in the day, African-Americans weren't treated fairly when it came to advanced education and Tuskegee Institute. And man, they were cranking out world-class leaders. Uh, next February of Black History Month, if you're looking for something to study, study. All of us need to teach our kids about George Washington Carver. Uh, to me, he's one of my greatest heroes. He saved agriculture here in the United States, Booker T. Washington. And not only were these great leaders who trained great leaders, but they were followers of Jesus Christ. It's just a great story. That's not what my sermon's about, but next February, we all need to teach our kids about Tuskegee Institute. But during the middle of the 20th century, during World War II, African Americans had not been allowed to participate in piloting in the, in the uh, Army Air Corps. But there were bombers in, in Europe that were getting shot down at alarming rates. And every time a bomber was shot down, not only did they lose the potential of that bomb, bomb, bombing unit, but they also lost 10 or 11 American soldiers, crewmen. And so what had happened in those days before the red tails, they, they were called red tails because these guys painted the tails of their planes red, these Tuskegee Airmen. Um, what happened was a lot of the, the pilots before then, they were sort of the air jockeys, you know, the guys in the leather jackets and the scars, and they, they loved the dogfights. And what would happen is when they were guarding these bombers, some, you know, fighter Pilot, fighter plane from another from the front of enemy would come and they would they would leave the bombers and chase off after them, and a lot of our a lot of our bombers got shot down. But when the Tuskegee Airmen, the Red Tails, when they got engaged, they said to each other, "We're not we're going to do what we do. We're here we're here to guard the bombers. We're not going to leave the bombers." And they had a, they had a mantra. I mean, I get it exactly right, but I'm pretty close. They would say, "To the last plane, to the last group, to the last man, to the last bullet, we fight, and we're not going to leave the bombers." They guarded thousands of bombers and only lost 25. All the bomb crews wanted the Tuskegee Airmen, they wanted the Red Tails to guard the planes. Why? Because they did what they did. They did what they were there to do. Not what they fantasized about. They understood what they were there to do and they did it. I really believe the longer that you're on the planet, the more it takes shape 
how God made you to be. We, we use oftentimes Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. The Hebrew there actually means train him or train her according to their natural bent. How many of us have seen parents who tried to live vicariously through their kids, and they tried to force them against the natural bent of their personality and their gift package? And so, I mean, this is really cool. If you want to understand life, just go as early to the book of Genesis as you can. In, the, in Genesis chapter 4, we read about three, three kids from the same family. I find this interesting. One kid was named Jabel, and in verse 20 of Genesis chapter 4, it says he's the father of those who raise livestock. And then his brother Jubal, verse 21, he was the first of all who played the harp and flute. And then there was Tubal Cain, who was an expert in forging tools, bronze and iron. And I sort of look at that and think those are maybe the three main pursuits of life. One kid was into ag. One kid was into manufacturing and consumption. The other was in the arts. And so I really believe the longer you live, the more you have a sense of who you are, how God has crafted you, and what you are meant to do. And here's the thing. If you were here last week, I said, if you want to be a success in life, you have to answer a question or solve a problem. All of us would hope that we would be able to change the world and to build the kingdom of God. That means we're going to have to open our doors and say, bring your problem to me because it's what I do. Now, I learned this lesson, one of the greatest lessons I ever learned about life, and I learned it, and, and I know right out of the box, I am overdressed this morning, right? And here's what some of you who are fashionistas noticed a long time ago. You say, the suit that Mark has on is hopelessly out of date. I know that. It is so 1995. But there's a story that goes with this suit, and I learned one of the greatest lessons of life, and I think I'm going to hold on to it until the moth's seated, Okay. Let me tell you the story. Years ago, as pastor of the church, I had to wear a suit seven days a week. I guess I didn't have to, but I did. And suits are expensive, and I didn't have a lot of money, and I don't like cheap suits. So the issue that I had was, how can I buy a nice suit that I can afford? And there was a warehouse, men's clothing warehouse, down, not, not the actual store that bears that name. It was just a warehouse. And, and they had older suits. They'd be like three or four or five years old. They, were, they, were, you know, they weren't the new suits out. But uh, they would sell them for a lot less money. In fact, the suit, this TMI, the suit I have on is a $1,000 suit. I paid $175 for it. And so I, I would go down there and buy my suits. And, but they didn't do alterations. That's not a problem. I had a lady here who had an alteration shop, and she did all my alterations through the years. So I bought this suit and brought it back to Wichita and took it to the little alteration shop where I had all my suits altered. The only thing is, there's a lady who'd done my clothes for years, and she wasn't there. And there were two other ladies. I didn't recognize either one of them. I don't, I'm not trying to be offensive. Do you, do you ever like just have to deal with someone and it's like you just sort of know they don't know what they're doing? I mean, honestly, Stephen was about six at the time. He was or eight, eight, I guess. He, and, and he walked in with me and it's like I, there was a part of me that said, turn around, go right back to your car. But I'd had my clothes done at that shop. So anyway, the two ladies came out. And, and so I said, I didn't have it. And they, they marked my suit with pins. And I've never seen anybody pin a suit like that. I sold men's clothing when I was going through college. I looked at the pinning and I thought, how in the world are they going to know how to alter this? And that was my second chance to just take the suit and leave. <laughs> but I decided, no, no, no they're pros because they, the, they, the, they own the store. And the, you know. 
So the, the woman said, come back in two weeks, and on Friday afternoon at 4 o'clock, and you said it'll be ready. So Stephen and I went back to the store. Two weeks later, 4 o'clock, I walked in. I was ready to pick up my suit. They said, it's not quite finished yet. And they said, it's going to be just a little while. It'll be about 30 minutes. We'll have it finished. Oh, that's okay. That happens. So 30 minutes goes by, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, 50 minutes goes by, and I'm a little concerned, and I'm saying, how's it going back there? Oh, we're still working on it. And I could swear I heard one of the women say to the other woman, I think I read in a book that it's supposed to be done like this. <laughs> now my stomach's really churning now. So I go back and I sit down. Another 30 minutes goes by. Another 45 minutes. An hour goes by. I've been there two hours now. And I said, okay, would you just show me what it looks like now? I almost wished I hadn't asked. <laughs> because if, if you set out to mangle a suit, it could not be any worse than that. This sleeve, it was all... I mean, was, I mean, I would have had to have my arm like that to wear it. It was just all up like this, and the hem was out of this sleeve. It was just hanging down. It, it would be like you went to the local high school and told the football team <laughs> that they were going to do a home ec project. And I said, let me have it. And I, went out, I was just upset. I was furious. I was getting in the car, and Stephen, it's his personality, he's trying to calm me down. Dad's going to be okay. No, it's not going to be okay. This is an expensive suit. Look what's happened to it. I go home. Ryan said, how'd it go? I said, you don't even want to know. It's horrible. I held it up. I said, look at this. I took it to this place. These people have no idea what they're doing. They mangled my suit. And Marianne's being the brilliant, wise woman that she is, she said, well, well, just take it to another alterations place. I said, that's crazy. It's ruined. I, and and I, I said, I'm just going to throw it away. And I fully meant to, but how do you throw away a $1,000 suit, even in the condition that it's, <laughs> that it's in? So I, I, I knew it was ruined, but I, I went ahead and hung it in my closet. Now, you talk about depression for two weeks. I'd walk into my closet and look at the suit and... Uh, so after about two weeks of that, Muriel said, Mark, why don't you just take it to an alterations place? And I said, I'll tell you why I can't do that. Because I'm going to walk into that alter another alterations place, and they're not going to be able to fix it. And they're going to look at me and look at this suit, and they're going to say, how did you let a nice suit like this get treated in this condition? And I said, I won't know how to answer that. Sure enough, after a few days, I humbled myself, and I walked into an alterations place. And the man who met me that day, who's now a friend, he said something to me that changed my life and ultimately had an impact on what happened at New Spring. Do you, you ever try to, you, you ever get really embarrassed and you have to tell your story and it's so embarrassing that it, 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 it all tries to come out at one time and it's just incoherent? That's what happened to me that day. I'm a wordsmith. I'm a communicator. But how am I going to explain this? I held the jacket up, and I tried to tell what happened. I took it to a, couple of, to a place with a couple of crazy ladies who didn't know what they're doing, and they ruined my suit. I was trying to explain all that, and all of a sudden, he just held up his hand like this. And he said, sir, bring it to us. It's what we do. I've told that story all over the world. I've told it training corporations. I've told it, told it training Christian leaders. Bring it to us. It's what we do. <laughs> What's the difference in two alterations places? 
Well, let me just tell you about the place that fixed my suit. The, the couple that own the shop, they're Satish and Joanna Chari. Now, they came from India to the United States in the middle 90s. Satish had a background in sales. Joanna had a background in HR, but they're coming to a new world. They had to figure out a new kind of life. It turns out Joanna was world-class seamstress. There was a dry cleaning establishment on South Rock Road. They had 150 square feet. They wanted to open an alterations place. And Joanna and Satish took that over. Today, it's 5,000 square feet. Every 20 minutes, a bride walks in with a dress for them to manage. They've done work for the bridal shop that is the, is the anchor for the Say Yes to the Dress show. I never walk into that store that it's not filled with people. On the other hand, there were a couple of women who had a dream. If you had asked them, I never knew their names. I don't, I don't know them like I know Satish and Joanna, but if you had asked them, why are you opening uh, an alterations place? They would say, it's our dream. It's, you know, it's our lifelong dream. To, we're both best friends, and we're just going to quit our jobs, and we're just going to open an alterations place. The only thing is they didn't have the first clue what they were doing. <laughs> and it was a disaster, and it wasn't long before they were out of business. I'm sure they were fine, fine people. I'm just telling you, if you, if you, if you want to be a strategic dreamer, you need to do what you do. Not what you fantasize about doing, but do what you do. Number three, strategic dreamers embrace the facts. Let me give you a statement to mull over for a few moments. For someone who is a dreamer without a plan, facts are always the enemy. One more time, if you're talking about anybody who's a dreamer and they live in a fantasy world, whenever they encounter facts, it's going to be the enemy. Because here's the thing, no matter what your dream is in life, if it's a great dream, there are always going to be facts that constitute a headwind. That's just part of life. And oftentimes, those facts are what help you not only develop the dream, but shape the plan. One of my great friends here at New Spring, who's an extraordinary leader, Rich Gewinall, gave me the book on the life story of one of my heroes, Alan Mulally, Kansas-born, Boeing for many years, was vice president for engineering for Boeing, who went on to lead Ford Motor Company. And he, it's amazing. what Alan Mulally, just a great story. Uh, you can remember a few years ago with the economic downturn, all three of the big three looked like they were going to go bankrupt, and all of them did except for Ford, who was led by Kansas and Alan Mulally. When, and it was so interesting, when Alan went, first went to Ford, there were a lot of them, you know, car industry executives there had been at Ford for years, and they looked at this young, they looked at this Kansas guy with his blue blazer and his khaki pants, and they said to him, quite honestly, sir, we don't know if you really understand the car industry, and what Mullally said to them was still classic, and for all of you in the aircraft industry, you got to love this. Mullally said, let's see. You make a product with 3,000 moving parts. I come from a company that makes a product with 30,000 moving parts, and it has to stay in the air. I think I understand your world. <laughs> but very quickly on, he realized that Ford was in deep trouble. They were hemorrhaging billions of dollars. And he set up a system of coding, of color coding, whenever the executives came together. If everything was going great and the product was ready to roll out, it was green. If, it, if there was an issue and it was slowing down, they were to coat it with yellow. And if there was a problem and it was stalled, they were to coat it with red. And the problem was they were hemorrhaging billions of dollars and they were facing bankruptcy. And whenever we go to the meetings, everybody presented all green. It was like everything is going great. 
And finally, one guy, his name is Mark Fields, who actually succeeded Alamalali at Ford. Mark Fields got up his courage one day and he said, we have a problem. And Fields said he expected, he just, it was like he could feel everybody moving the chairs away from him. And then Alamalali did the most amazing thing and it's part of business lore. He began to clap. Because somebody had had the courage to tell the truth. Now, was it that Alan Mulally liked bad news? No, it wasn't that. It's just he wanted to save the company and he wanted to do great things. And here's the thing. If you want to be a strategic dreamer, you need to embrace the facts. You need to say, okay, these are the facts. These are the realities. One of the things that I've watched in leaders throughout the years that makes them just basically unhelpful, if not worthless, is someone who sticks to a specific idea of a dream and denies the facts that are obvious to everybody else. You may have been part of a team. What happens in a team like that? Everybody wants to leave as fast as possible because they're held to unrealistic expectations. Well, I've got to get to number four. And this one is so important. It might be the most important after number one, bring your dreams to the Lord. I'll tell you why it's important. Because in our culture today where kids are told, follow your dreams, we live in a basically narcissistic culture. And so consequently, when kids are told to follow their dreams, it's sort of like this is your world and you need to dream what you want to happen. And tacitly, it's almost spoken that everybody else in your life is around you to help your dreams come true. If I go to one more silly movie and watch the message targeting little boys and little girls as if to say, you need to have your dream and everybody around you is here to make your dream come true. I'll tell you what terrifies me about that is these kids are being set up for enormous disappointment because most of us are old enough to learn that the rest of the 7 billion people on the planet don't seem to think that they're here to make our dreams come true. It's number four. You have to bring your dream to the table. Like I said, you're around the biggest dreamer you were ever around, maybe when you're around me today. You know when you drove on that property out there in the traffic jam? That's a 30-year-old dream of mine. That dream started before K96 was finished. So when you drove on that property, that's a 30-year-old dream of mine. When you walked into this building, that's a 30-year-old dream of mine. You notice that New Spring is a different kind of church? It's not your ordinary. That's a 40-year-old dream of mine. See, I believe in dreams. But let me tell you what I didn't know. If, go, if I go back 30 years ago or 40 years ago, I want to give you four things that I didn't know. The first thing I didn't know is I didn't know how long it was going to take. Number two, I didn't know how complicated and difficult it was going to be. I didn't know how many changes were going to take place in my dream and how it was going to reform before it actually came to pass. But here's the big one. Ready? I had no idea how many people it was going to take for this dream to come true. And piece by piece, God built a dream team. You can walk around New Spring, and you know we're understaffed. We we understaff for a reason. We're volunteer dependent. It takes us 1,000 volunteers to pull off a weekend. So we have a small staff, but I don't think you have to walk around very much before you could figure out that I work with a dream team, and I do. Now, this is going to sound like cycle babble, but it's truer than you can possibly imagine. Here's what you must understand. We all need a dream team, but there is no dream team without team dream. 
What I had to do before these dreams could come to pass is I had to bring them to the table and other leaders got involved. And as I brought the dream to the table, it didn't look the same as it looked when I brought it to the table because otherwise women and men spoke into it, brought their giftedness into the situation. And when we all walked away, it wasn't Mark's dream anymore. It was a team's dream. And then that's when great things begin to happen. Do you know what's wrong with most marriages today? A man and a woman stand at an altar before a pastor or an official, and they get married and they vow their vows of love for each other. And I think they do love each other, but it isn't long in many cases before they're running in opposite directions. And I'll tell you why. Because the bride stands up there and she has a dream. She has a dream for this marriage. I've dreamed about it all my life. I've dreamed about marriage. I have this dream for my marriage. The groom is up there. He's got a dream for the marriage. It's, his, his dream is going to come true. He's... He's met the woman who makes his dreams come true. She's met the man. He, when her friends ask, he makes my dreams come true. <laughs> Problem is they go into the marriage and they still have their dreams and their dreams are not the same dreams. See, here's the thing. If you really want to get married, it's got to be a team dream. And you start having kids, it's going to get to be a bigger team. There is no such thing. Here's the thing. There's no such thing as dream team without team dream. You must bring your dream to the table. And when you leave, it won't look like it did when you brought it. But that's when great things have the potential of happening. I got one minute left. I'd like to just stay. I've got so many more things I want to say there but I got to get to the fifth one. I'm going to talk to all of you now about dreaming. I just shared with you that I've, wa- I've gotten to watch a lot of my dreams come true. Here's what you don't know. In all of those dreams, <laughs> I'm standing here thinking about it. In all those dreams, there were times when it just, they all broke in pieces. You know, it's almost like we we want our kids to believe, oh, you know, when you wish upon a star, just have this dream and you're just going to float to it and everything's going to work out. Every one of the great dreams that I've watched in my life fell and broke in pieces. And by the way, let me just throw one more thing out. This is one reason why you want to have a team. Because as God began to build the team, there were times when it just fell into broken pieces. And for a few minutes, you know, all of us in the leadership corps, we just look at the floor and felt like the world had fallen apart. And it wouldn't be long before somebody would raise his or her head and say, well, wait, what if we tried this? Number five, don't discard broken pieces. You remember I did a talk the other day. I was telling you about when I was a kid growing up and I wanted a set of encyclopedias. And in those days, grocery stores, you know, they would try to like get you to come in every week. And so they would sell, you know, succeeding volumes of encyclopedias, a different volume every week, get you to come back that week. But they would always sell the A volume for like 49 cents or 69 cents. I could never afford the other volumes, but I could always afford the A volume. There was a time when I looked at my bookshelf at my house and all I had was different A volumes. You know what? There are people in life that I've met like that. It's like when it comes to relationships, they have a set of A volumes. When it comes to, have you ever seen the resume of somebody who all they have is, a, is just a set of A volumes? They work at a place six months, and then something happens, they go someplace else, and you look at it. I mean, here they, they're 24 years old, and they got a resume that's like got, you know, a ream of paper in it.
I want to tell you, if, if you want your dreams to come true, you got to have staying power. And one of the things that you'll discover, sometimes you'll sit in the middle of a bunch of broken pieces that were your dream, and you'll sit there and you'll begin to put those pieces back together. Remember where we started? The book of Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God. He'll make it happen. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He'll do it. You guys know, if you've been at New Spring for a long time, you guys know that I'm a huge fan of Abraham Lincoln. I think it's universally, universally accepted that Abraham Lincoln was our greatest president. What's ironic about that was he failed at practically everything he did before he was elected presidency. He wasn't elected until he's his early 50s to the presidency. One of the things that Lincoln tried when he was younger, he thought about opening a store with a friend who was a partner. He opened the store. And this is where the story gets kind of strange because I've read so many different manifestations, it's hard to know exactly what happened. I think that's because Lincoln liked to tell stories and he probably told it differently in different places. But as near as I can figure out, here's what happened. They were going out of business. They had lost everything. There had been some drought issues and a lot of the farms, a lot of the farmers in the area were quitting. And of course, that's why Lincoln and his partner went out of business. And it was the last day. And they were going to close up shop. And Lincoln was out on the wooden porch of the store because they had no customers. He had his long, lanky legs up on the rail. And they were, he was talking to his partner about going broke. And he said, you know, I really wouldn't mind so much going broke if I could do the one thing I really want to do in life, and that's practice law. But he said, in order to study law, he said, I would need a... I would need a book called Blackstone's Commentary on the English Law, which was the quintessential book in those days. But he says, no way I can afford it. He said, if I could, if I could dream about what I'd like to do, I'd sell everything I could and buy that book. Well, anyway, a little while later, there was a farmer, and of course, they had lost their land. He and his wife and his kids came up on a wagon and stopped in front of the store, but they weren't customers. They were trying to sell stuff, and Lincoln explained to him he wasn't looking to buy. He was going out of business. And the man said, well, I'll tell you what, I've got an old barrel here. He said, or, the barrel's in great shape. And he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll sell you the barrel and everything in it for 50 cents. And Lincoln looked at the barrel and thought, the last thing in the world he needed was another barrel. But then he took a look at the woman whose face was pale and white and emaciated, almost pleading. And Lincoln said, I reached into my pocket and got the last 50 cents that I had. And I bought that barrel. And it sat there in the front of the store and his friend made fun of him for spending his last 50 cents on the silly thing of buying a barrel. But late that afternoon, Lincoln thought he would just rummage through the barrel and see if there is anything in there worth keeping. And sure enough, there was nothing, just rags. The, the couple, the family had rags on already and these were the clothes they weren't using. There was, they were just rags. And he reached through the barrel, nothing there, until he came to the bottom and suddenly his hand hit something hard. He felt around and clearly saw it was a book. And he reached out and picked up the book, Blackstone's Commentary on the English Law. And Lincoln said, I looked up into the heavens and I said to myself, I believe God must have a great plan for my life. And that is when he said my favorite Lincoln quote. He said, I will study and prepare myself and someday my time will come. Here is a guy who took the broken pieces and picked up the broken pieces and used them. Strategic dreamers, these are not rosy reality deniers. These are not people that just have to always float in a cloud. These are people who engage.
You ever know anyone who's just a spinning gear? It's like there's a lot of activity, but they never engage the machinery. Strategic dreamers are people who engage. They're, they're not wannabes. They're not fakers. These are people who engage, and they understand that every once in a while, you're going to sit in the middle of broken pieces, but you pick those broken pieces up, and you go back to work. I don't like poetry that much, but my favorite poem is by Kipling, and the title of it is If. It's a dad writing to a son about what it means to be a grown-up. could just as easily have been a mom writing to a daughter mom writing to a son or dad writing to a daughter, but I, this is my favorite stanza from If. It says, if you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, and I love this line, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop to build them up with worn out tools. And Kipling said to his son, if you can do this, you'll be a grown up. I'm in overtime, but I can't help but say this. Who is the ultimate dreamer? God. What is his dream? He wants you to be a member of his family. He wants you to be his daughter. Not just in this life, but forever. He, he wants you to be his son. Wow, if you can bear to hear the things you spoke and twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, who knows that better than God? His words are twisted all the time, in church and out of church. Or watch the things you gave yourself to like a world. Watch it broken, broken by sin. And God stooped in the person of Jesus Christ down to our earth. And he built up the plan with a wooden cross and rusty nails, worn out tools. And through what Jesus did on the cross, he made a way for you to have an everlasting relationship with God. Do you have it? I just don't think dreams start until you become God's daughter, until you become God's son. And Jesus has made a way. How do you, Mark, how do, I, how do I get in on that? How do I get forgiven? How do I become God's child? The Bible says ask. That's how you get a gift. It's a gift. Jesus paid for it on the cross. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you're here today and you say, I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior, you can pray with me. And I'll pray this prayer slowly and you can decide if you want to own it. You ready? Let's slow down. Here we go. Dear God, I am a sinner. I'm broken. I can't fix myself. But I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. Help me to turn from this life and follow you. Please make me your child. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just pray with that prayer, do us both a favor. Go to any guest services, any info center here at New Spring and just say, I prayed with Mark. I have a gift box for you. They won't ask you, bother you. It's a Bible like I preach from, a book I wrote, because I know you may have a lot of questions. All you gotta do is say, I prayed with Mark. See you next weekend. God bless.